on this episode of Startup the Science. Hi everyone, so here is 9T Labs. We are a startup based out of Zurich, spin-off of ETH Zurich, founded 2018. Our aim is really to give every manufacturing company in the world access to use the highest performing engineering materials for CL production. And how we do that, we have an all-in package where we look at the software solution to design the highest performing composite parts. Then afterward, of course, we want to produce that through 3D printing with high deposition freedom and no waste. And uh, last but not least, we post-consolidate the parts to really bring them to high-performance CL parts quality. Hi, and welcome to our podcast. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. It's great to have 90 Labs uh, with us. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, about your company? Sure. So my name is uh, Yannick. Thanks again uh, to uh, invite me here. I'm an engineer by background, studied in uh, France, was actually born in uh, Zurich, Switzerland, then moved to Germany pretty quickly after my studies, worked 13 years in the composites field at SGL Carbon in various positions, and then joined 9T Labs beginning 2020. So 9T Labs is a young, innovative company here in Switzerland, spin-off from ETH Zurich, founded 2018, and we are currently 28 full-time employees working on soft and hardware topics around 3D printing of composites. Not bad. 28 employees is already not a small startup anymore. So well done for that. Um, so I see that one of the taglines on your website is that you change the game with 3D printed carbon composite parts. Can you explain to us what that means? What's the game changing part? Uh, sure. I mean, what we are doing with 3D printing is we are focusing on smaller parts, smaller, complex, intricate parts. And here, most of the applications in the markets where we are entering, which are mainly aerospace medical, are still made out of uh, steel metals because they are yeah, complex and because composite manufacturing is for those kind of uh, designs either manual and then you have issues with reproducibility, with costs and quality in general. Or, um, I mean, you have automation, of course, in composites, but rather for bigger structures. And therefore, we, we try to fill the gap here. And we often compete with metals, but we can also compete with traditional composite manufacturing in certain cases. And here, the game changer is really to make it accessible. So it's not about just doing a machine, but really thinking about the, the whole process chain. So starting with the design, with the software, and how to really include that within the hardware environment with uh, specific materials and so on, so that you get a kind of turnkey solution. And even if you are in metal manufacturing, you can produce your own parts in composite pretty quickly. So you started talking about your, your business model a bit, and I'd like to come back, come back to that. Um, but first, I want to ask you, why are composite materials uh, more interesting? I think, uh, from, from what I know, one of the key advantages is that they can be a lot lighter than, for example, steel. Is that the main benefit, or why should manufacturers consider switching from existing materials to composite materials? Oh, for sure, that's uh, always a key question, is about the, the functions you need in your end part. And here, composites are super interesting because they are not isotropic, so they are anisotropic, which means that you can give them different properties in different directions within their volume, so that you can tailor the, the function based on the needs in the end use, because you can place fibers. So you really have to think about it like, like a textile, where you can 
put fibers at different angles and stay also over the stacking. So over the, the height of some parts, you can change the patterns and so on. So that's where it's super interesting in terms of mechanical performance. But And you speak about lightweight, because this is a pure density topic, because I mean, composites are mainly a mix of fibers in this case and polymers, plastics. And those materials are just lighter than uh, metals. So depending on the metals, if you compete with aluminum, it's uh, twice as light. With metals, it can be up to, I mean, with steels, up to five times lighter. But that's a pure density topic. And then you can work on the design also to even optimize this. But other, I mean, other markets have other interests. So in medical, for example, lightweight is not bad per se. So if it's lighter, why not? But there's other functions like biocompatibility over time, the fact that it's not corrosive, the fact that it's also X-ray transparent, super important if you want to do some X-ray uh, checks during an, uh, a surgery, for example. And um, so very different functions depending on the market. So that's where we also have to learn what are the needs in the different markets and to tap into this kind of toolbox of functions and really tailor the the material to the application right to the to the technology you're trying to create so you can manufacture different functional parts with different functional requirements depending on the, on the industry you're you're operating in um and i saw that some of the requirements you can um you can fit into are quite um quite interesting and i imagine also very useful like flame resistance uh, energy absorbance you mentioned x-ray transparency Can you give us an example of an application either in medtech that you mentioned or maybe in aerospace that you worked on, that your materials are being used in, um, that you're particularly excited about? Yeah, it's, uh, I, we could mention a, a lot of them. Uh, some are not uh, disclosable, but in uh, medtech, what we are looking at, of course, we would be interested in going into implants because uh, we see a lot of potential, but it's a long way. And on this way, we have um, discovered that surgical instruments are very, very interesting because they are still out of the body, but are sometimes in touch with it. So it needs very high requirements. And they are often, um, there is a need to sterilize them, which is a big issue if you use plastics because they will elongate and then you don't have the tolerances which you need to place some, uh, yeah, some screws or to place some different uh, parts on the body. So here fiber is king because you can really control uh, reach a zero elongation part over time so that the part remains with its tolerances. That's uh, certainly super interesting in this field because up to now either they do it in metals or they, they are milling these parts out of a full block of composite which makes 60% waste easily from the start which is far from being uh, material efficient. So that's for, uh, for medtech. I mean in terms of um, aerospace we are working on a helicopter door hinge Super interesting topic where we also replace a metal part and we need to go very deep in our technology because it's a really a 3D oriented fiber in the final part. So it's about working on 3D printing, but also on post-processing, how to thermo-weld different parts together while uh, making sure that they are also sustaining the loads. And you mentioned already a bit earlier a um, bit about your business model. So you work with your customers, from what I understand, from beginning to end, from design all the way to, to the production of the ultimate part. Um, can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, sure. So um, very uh, quickly, so what we do is we don't produce parts. 
So that's really important to mention because often in 3D printing, uh, company tend to start with producing parts and then going with the technology and delivering the technology in the market. We start a bit the other way. So we want, because we have this all-in package, we want really to prove that you can use it as a customer and it's easy to use. So the goal for us is really to give the access to software, hardware and materials to the end customers or to their suppliers. And then, of course, we have engineers in-house. That's why we also have 28 full-time people now in our company to really support the customers. It's about making it happen. I guess that's the only way to have sustainable innovation is that you really get something with added value at the end and as quick as possible and depending on the markets. And that's where we will support the customers, be it in the design phase, be in the the production or in updating some hardware, some software topics on demand. Okay, so take me through an example. Let's say um, a company comes to you and they want to make a better catheter, let's say, um, so that they can use it in in surgeries that is maybe lighter weight or um, made from a different, better material. What would you, how would you go about it in this case? Would you work with them on the design? What would be the next steps? Yeah, I mean, typically, if a company is coming to us or we are approaching a company uh, because we target specific applications, we always start at lo- looking at the portfolio. So is it really the best product in the portfolio for our technology or not? Because uh, that can save some time, especially now we have screened about 200 different applications last year in the markets. So we have a good idea where there is a better fit. And once we have identified potential applications, we will always start with a feasibility study. So we go really deep, both in technical and in economical modeling. So we have a cost model behind the whole business model and um, yeah, material, etc., so that we can end up with a technical proposal, how we would design such a part, but also with a cost per part. Really, black on white, you have your cost per part, which is, an estimation, but it's a really good estimation so that you can assess based on benchmark. Is it uh, interesting? Is it already cheaper? Is it on par or is it way too expensive? And then probably it's not the right application. And from there on, if it's green light and it sounds interesting, then we can move up to think about how to onboard these customers either because we work a lot with subscription-based models. So customers can subscribe for a few months have a project where they have machine resources and we take care about doing this ramp up phase. And once we have validated, they can get uh, the machine physically wherever they want and start from there on to work on the CL parts. So you mentioned the subscription model. What exactly are they subscribing for? To your entire suite of, of services or to the software solution or what do they get for their subscription? I mean, typically subscription is... Uh, pretty well known in the software world so what they would they would get access to the full package which is access to the software to the machines to the engineering and of course to all any technical support that's always included for sure and why do we do subscription because we believe as for software where nowadays you don't even notice that it's updated sometimes because it's just necessary to make an update so hardware especially in the 3d printing world is also evolving very quickly so that we have developed our 3D printer in a modular way and we will certainly every six to eight months 
have some hardware updates so that the customers have always a machine which is state of the art because like obsolescence is a big topic in 3D printing and it's a pity to have yeah, machines which of course are new from the concept but get old within their field very quickly. Before we get to the rest of this episode, we would like to take a moment to tell you a few words about one of our AdmaCom sponsors. AdmaCom stands for the Advanced Materials Competition, and it's our two-week accelerator program for startups in advanced materials. Berlin Partner for Business and Technology has graciously been an ongoing sponsor of the program for quite some time now. Berlin Partner's mission is to provide business and technology support for companies, investors, and scientific institutions in Berlin. With customized services and an excellent science and research network, Berlin Partner provides an outstanding range of programs to help companies launch, innovate, expand, and secure their economic future in Berlin. So if you're thinking of Berlin as your new HQ or the location of a subsidiary, reach out to Berlin Partner. They've got your back. Check them out at www.berlin-partner.de. And now back to our show. So because our focus is so much on materials, new materials, better materials, I'd like to go back for a moment to the materials you are using and specifically to thermoplastics. If you could uh, tell us a bit about, first of all, what are thermoplastics for those that might not know and how are you using them? I mean, very basically thermoplastics, that's one family of uh, polymers and the other one is thermosets. And the big difference is thermoplastics, you can remold them with higher temperature. So you bring them to a certain melting or viscosity point so that you can reshape them. And thermosets, if you apply higher temperature, then you will actually consolidate them. So they will get harder and then you cannot reshape them anymore, which has some positives. Of course, in some applications, you don't want it to move at, uh, on higher temperature ranges. So with thermoplastics, you always have to make sure that in use, they will never reach source temperature where they might reshape. But um, this reshaping remoldability is very interesting in the process because you can do welding of different parts. So you can really join them very nicely without adding other materials. And thermoplastics are also way easier to recycle. So that's a, a key topic. I guess that's why we see also a trend in uh, thermoplastics in major industries now because they allow higher, I mean, faster cycle times in production due to their properties and they are better in recyclability. So we're seeing an increase in the, in the market segment of thermoplastics at the moment from, from what you're saying. Absolute numbers are set are way uh, higher. So they are really established in aerospace in all major industries, but with um, industries like yeah, automotive, pushing really the boundaries of production speed. Thermoplastics uh, are really key to reach the speeds. And yeah, the pers- I mean, when you look at the percentage with the growth numbers, thermoplastics are definitely uh, getting there. And also very relevant for the materials you use is carbon fiber, which is very stiff, right? low weight and quite stress resistant. Can you tell us more about carbon fiber and why this is such an ideal material? And carbon fiber, of course, they have their very interesting properties. There's also different types of carbon fibers. So depending on the end properties you are looking for. But um, yeah, I would say 
here it's really interesting for us, and that's also a differentiation point, that we are not producing our own materials. So we are really sourcing industrial materials in forms of unidirectional tapes. So those are like bigger tapes with, with fibers only in one direction. And here the, the key criteria is fiber volume content. So how many fibers are there compared to the matrix, to the plastic? In high-performance applications, you often use 60% fiber volume content and then you have 40% plastic. And then we actually reprocess these tapes, which are pretty wide, into a one millimeter width. And these smaller tapes, because they are flat, we are retransforming them into round filaments so that you can print them just as, uh, as you are used to print round filaments to avoid fiber distortion. So I guess that's uh, super important. And the applications that these would be used in are the same you mentioned before, or would they be different products, different technologies? I mean, applications, say mainly when you go into high-performance composites, typically you will go into aerospace because that's where composites are already used for a long time and people are very knowledgeable. And then medical makes a lot of sense for us because it's about small, intricate parts, lower volumes, and... Um, there we see a lot of potential. And of course, then you have all these applications. High performance means sports, luxury, maybe some general industry topic like machines who are also going faster in, uh, in cycle times and need also these higher performing materials. All right. So we covered the materials you use, the business model. Now I'd like to know a little bit more about the, the story of your company, how it all came about, how you grew to have now 28 employees how it all began, if you want to take us through through your startup journey. Sure, yeah. so it was uh, founded 2018 by three co-founders. And so three co-founders, they all studied at ETH Zurich. So that's, I would say, the common denominator. That's where they met. Um, one of them, the current CEO, Martin, he has actually written his PhD about this topic of 3D printing composites. He actually started more on the robotic side. So really 3D printing on a robotic arm and uh, being... I mean, multidimensional, I guess that's uh, also where nine, the so number nine from nine T-Labs is coming from. It's this nine degrees of freedom and where you could, I mean, it's a bit the dream of everybody so, or how to freeform some structures. But um, yeah, he has spent quite a lot of time and we are now convinced that there is a use case for this super high freedom, but um, it's also not always wise and adding value on a lot of parts, like uh, where this kind of 2.5D 3D printing is uh, is used now. And and the two others, so Chester and Giovanni, the two other co-founders, they, um, they also have different experiences before. Chester was uh, even working at Tesla for a while. So I guess, uh, yeah, some uh, more say, university background and some more tech industry background here in the founders team. And yeah, and very quickly it grew because yeah, if you do software and hardware, you need quite some resources. So that's where, of course, as a startup, you need good support, good investors. And we have a very good environment here in Zurich, Switzerland for those early seed rounds and now moving into the Series A round, going, uh, of course, to shift a bit more toward Europe. I mean, increasingly, we already have customers in different countries, but of course, the next big goal will certainly enter US. And that means uh, it's also part of selecting the right investors here 
to help support the dynamics. So you are looking for additional investors at the moment, right? And we are talking with investors for sure. For now, we certainly close around mid of the year. It's quite late if you want to do a, a full uh, onboarding of a new investor. But yes, there's ongoing talks and certainly um, there will be further rounds down the road once we will go international. And can I ask you what might be, I'm not sure, but might be a controversial question. Um, it seems to me because we work with quite a lot of European startups that startups in Switzerland have a I don't want to say easy time, but slightly easier time than in other parts of Europe when it comes to raising money or just growing their teams. Do you think that's the case? Do you think there's, is it just that there's more money in Switzerland or are people just more open-minded about deep tech or what could it be? I mean, I guess it's often in the, at the beginning of anything, it's community-based, isn't it? And it's certainly easier to build a community in a smaller environment, in a tighter environment. And I guess here, given the background of ETH and the, of course the financial force in, in Zurich and Switzerland in general, there is some great bridges between both worlds, the academical world and the financial world. So there is this specific funds which also understand deep tech. So it's not only investing in software or, would say, faster return on investment fields, it's understanding the, the hardware topics and I mean, the time it takes to, to move into med tech and aerospace. And there is a lot of um, aerospace players in, uh, in Switzerland. There's a lot of medical players. And all this industry also gives some credibility to the young startups because uh, I guess people understand this field. So certainly, I, I don't know if it's easy because uh, it might seem easy from the outside, but it's also a big fight day to day to get the right investors um, on time and also to get the right people. Because, I mean, growing, it's nice to say, oh, yes, after three years, we are 28 and we will certainly grow to around 50 end of the year. But finding those right people and scaling also as an organization is always a, a challenge. So I appreciate it from the outside. It looks easy. It means we do a good job. <laughs> it, it certainly doesn't doesn't look easy, and I wasn't uh, trying to diminish your your accomplishments. Um, I was just wondering if it's a better environment for deep tech startups, maybe than in other parts of Europe, where we're seeing investors be maybe a little bit more reluctant to investing in hardware, especially or in technologies that, as you say, take a longer time to to go to market. Um, I'm particularly referring to to investors maybe, well, I don't want to name any countries, but not in Switzerland for sure. If you were to maybe advise investors that are reluctant to taking a gamble on hardware and deep tech startups, what would you say to them? Why should they do that? I mean, I guess, of course, hardware is always takes longer. It's a lot of pain. Um, I mean, software is also tough, but I guess um, you have a less as complex supply chains in general, I guess the supply chain topic on both sides, I mean, what you, you need to build your hardware, but also in terms of customer landscape is uh, very complex and it takes a long time to get in because it's about procurement processes. It's also a, a lot about regulations, which you are confronted with. On the other side, I mean, what is uh, difficult is also rewarding. So if you are in and you are successful, it's way more difficult for other people to enter. So you also get quicker, um, a nice position in some niche markets where you can defend uh, high margin, high growth. So certainly on, on the long term, and we see that in, uh, in a lot of um, investment funds, 
that of course they are extending also their portfolios and they are moving some of their money also on longer term topics and if you think about 3d printing of implants for example there is a few players in the world but it takes a few years before you enter then you need to scale up so you're certainly in the five years plus scheme before you you see any really revenue but then you are in and it's really difficult for others to come yeah that's what we also heard from some investors uh, that we had on the podcast before that while it may appear as a higher risk because obviously you're investing for the longer run the return on investment can be can be bigger and as you said it's easier maybe maybe easier in software to perhaps copy what others are doing and a little bit harder to do so um, for for a hardware startup so we're just trying to build a case episode by episode here <laughs> for investors to understand that there's uh, there's uh, something to to yeah something to pay attention to in the deep tech world as well and, and I guess maybe as a side note, I mean, there's a convergence between hard and software. And that's uh, all about digitization and uh, 4.0 topics. And here we see, I mean, we do it ourselves also. We try really to, to develop both in, together. So the software and the hardware so that it's, it gets easier for the end user to use, to make it uh, integrated. And therefore, you still have different pillars in your business models. It's not all hardware, all material, all software. It's kind of a hybrid. I guess this is a good way for investors also to, to move into this hardware field. Yeah, it's nice because it's kind of like a bridge for them. So they don't have to be too worried. Um, so you mentioned some of your plans already. You're looking to raise more money. You're looking to almost double your team by the end of the year. Um, what are other plans or other hopes that you have for the company, maybe in terms of the technologies you're developing? Any crazy, weird application that you hope to see made possible by your technology? Um, for, for sure. I mean, in terms of uh, end applications, here it's really about... For us, it's not about the quantity, it's really finding the key applications where we bring most added value with reference customers in their fields to um, really make the case and demonstrate uh, and before scaling, basically. So it's this learning phase, it's uh, all about quality. And yeah, in general, I would say also thinking beyond what we offer today is because we come from the composite fields. So of course, we like this 3D printer because it's a very material efficient way to produce high performance parts but then we see also the the potential to really do hybrid processing so to mix 3d printing now we do some post consolidation more traditional post consolidation but really mixing with other materials maybe even go hybrid material and do a very complex skeleton out of uh, composites then overmold with metals or with other kind of composites so it's really it's all about the creativity of the designers. On the other side, the designers need to know what kind of processes are out there to um, enable that. So it's a kind of a ping pong. Can you tell us, as we're coming close to the end of this episode, can you make one big wish for your company? Something you wish will happen in the next, let's say, six months. And maybe someone listening can help make that happen. I would say for, for the next six months, the two big wishes, they are certainly finding um, more very talented people to, to join the team to help uh, make it happen because it's really all about uh, the people who are on board to really work day to day if it's, um, it's really broad from tech to, uh, 
to market oriented uh, positions. And then the other one is, of course, to, um, to find more big players, especially in the field of uh, medical and sports, to really push forward some products, some applications, and uh, make the point. So I guess it's very market and uh, people-centric. And people-centric. Well, with that in mind, make sure you send us whatever job openings you have, and we will post them on what is our startup jobs wall on our website, um, and maybe we can we can help you find the, the right people. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, it was great talking to you and great to understand more about additive manufacturing in this new world of additive manufacturing, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Startup the Science. If you'd like to learn more about our podcast, head to www.enum.berlin slash startupthescience. You can also follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. If you'd like to leave us a message or ask us or our guests any questions, send us a DM or leave us a message on our website. We would love to hear from you. Stay tuned for our next episode. Coming soon.